Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us today uh, to this building to worship, to adore you, to give honor to he who is holy and just and kind and our best friend. We we pray that we would learn much from the gospel today, both in Sunday school time and in our worship. We pray for the preaching of the word today, that you would give holy boldness to our pastor as he preaches. We pray, Lord, that you give uh, clarity to our intern as he reads, and we pray for uh, the preaching of the word tonight. Lord, thank you for the communion of saints. Thank you for your shed blood, and thank you for your body broken for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I, whoop, there we go. Do George Bush there. Um, I've often wondered when I'm around a group, because today we're talking about a marriage and a wedding. As far as I know, for all the weddings I've ever been to, been in, listened to, no pastor, judge, or whatever weddings are done by nowadays, did anybody use Judges chapter 14 for um, their text for their homily? Did any anybody else, you ever been somewhere and they use, use Judges chapter 14? I see, seeing no hands. So we're going to talk today about this covenant kid, Samson. And who knows the show, I've Got a Secret. Let me see your hands so I know who I'm talking to. I've got a secret. So so Samson has some secrets, or as um, Proverbs chapter 1 talks about riddles and, riddles and sayings, uh, we're going to get into some of those. But just a reminder where we are last week, we were introduced to some pretty amazing things about this young man. What what do we know when you think about Samson? What is the descriptive word about him? What is he? He's a Nazarite. Do we have any Nazarites in here this morning? I don't see any because what is one of the distinguishing marks of a Nazarite? A what? Yeah, whoop, we lost them. Where's my camera? Not really a beard, it's more or less this. He doesn't buy cream rinse, usually doesn't use a comb. Why would you not use a comb? Because your hair is not supposed to be cut, and a comb could do that. And that old movie of Delilah combing his hair, mm -mm. that's 
that's not the way it goes. He he looks more like this guy right here. So that's one thing. What's the other thing about a Nazarite? Okay, he's not supposed to drink strong drink or anything that comes from grapes. No vinegar. What's something else about him? Can't touch what? Can't touch a bone or carcasses. He's not supposed to be around anything. Dead. <clears throat> and what's the fourth thing people don't really talk about, but it's it's in there. What what is a, a Nazarite also? Think think about all the laws of God's covenant people in Israel. He's one up on them. He's set apart for a specific Mission. Mostly a Nazarite is set apart for a short period of time and then he has to go to the temple uh, to undo his vow or whatever you call it. So it's not always we're good. So last week we talked about Samson being a Nazarite and who else did we talk about? Manoah. And his wife. So his wife is set apart, and uh, it looks like, sounds like, she was a Nazarite. She had taken a Nazarite vow, which is important to our story today. We know that he grows, and he grows by the Holy Spirit. Interesting thing is, we don't see a description in Scripture of him pumping iron, do we? But if you ever see any pictures of him, he doesn't look like me and CB and Kit. He looks like Silas or some big Herculean thing, but God doesn't point that out. So he is a shadow figure of Jesus Christ, the Savior, and and we know in chapter 13, much like uh, the angel of the Lord that appeared to Gideon, that we also have the Trinity related to this. So that's kind of a, a brief outline of, of what happened last week, and I think it's important. It's important for us to think about the vow of the Nazarite as we look. And then also remember that narrative is not necessarily imperative. Narrative is not necessarily imperative. So with that, we're going to look at Judges 14. And just remember, just as I talked about, those people that are portrayed for their beauty and strength and all that. In biblical narrative, initial statements of beauty are portents of impending disaster. They're omens. And there here are a few scriptures to, to think about. Genesis 3.6 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then Job, just kind of the opposite of that, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? And he goes on and on and on. Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? And this this is all related to looking at someone he shouldn't be looking at. He's trying to get across. And then 1 Samuel 9 to be. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. And that's talking about Saul. And in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 2, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, it happened. Don't we hear that a lot? It happened. It just happened. Late on afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And then James tells us, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do you do you find that has been true in your life so far? People that look at the wrong things go down a wrong path because it, we are people that look, and especially men. Men are stimulated. Can I say that? Can I say one? Men are stimulated by looking at things. I'll just put it that way. So here we come to the elephant in the room. Samson, a covenant breaker. We pray for our children when we baptize them and bring them into the covenant that they won't be a covenant breaker. That that is our hope. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Samuel 4, I mean uh, Judges. 14, I keep saying Samuel, uh, Samson. I'd rather be talking about Samuel. So, let's look, verses 1 through 4. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistine? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now, there are some commentators that are not very um, gracious toward Manoah and his wife. They say he should have put a stop to it. And 
they are kind of right. It in this marriage um, contract that's going on, the father of the groom is the one that has to go set up the marriage. So he could have said no louder because he's saying no already. Uh, he's not saying it very strongly, but he's still still saying it. So I want to give him a little little grace. Now, I, I've had jobs, you've had jobs, and every job you always have one predominant purpose, correct? If, you, if you're in law enforcement, you're supposed to keep the peace. If you're a school teacher, you're teaching something and students should learn most of the time. If you run a radio studio, you're entertaining people, you have one purpose. Was Samson's purpose, from what we learned last week from 13.5, was his purpose to do missionary dating to stop the Philistines? What was he supposed to do and what was every person in Israel supposed to do with the Philistines? Kill them or drive them out. Now, was this some kind of um, genocide and aimed at a specific race, or was this to get rid of people that are opposed to Yahweh? Because there's a big difference. Because some of those Philistines could have repented and come to Christ. And they could have hung out and been around. Right. And instead, what are the Philistines doing? They're oppressing Israel. And with oppression comes, you live in that environment and you become like the people that you are oppressed. So Samuel's job was not to go find a pretty woman and marry her that was a Philistine. Wouldn't it have been a lot better if when Samson comes home and he talks about this girl, I think maybe Timnah was four miles away, wouldn't it be better if Samson said, hey, mom and dad, God has done something great. I've met this lady and she wants to help me kill the Philistines. That's that's really what a wife for Samson should be. And then we have verse 4. Um, His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. And it it was kind of an environment where they had been, the Philistines had been there for about four years and everything was kind of 
copacetic. I mean, everything was kind of level because um, there's there's some debate um, what things the Philistines had inflicted upon them, and we'll talk about those. Hopefully, I can get the rest of the book, <laughs> rest of the chapter. But there was there was a a kind of just settling down and Samson being hard-headed and strong-willed child is is not not listening and at this point he's he's really not much of a a hero so all those hopes of Samson's parents are dashed to pieces he had a call to a ministry and his ministry is not like a lot of the judges who put out rules. He only had one purpose, and his first purpose was see Philistines, kill Philistines, not marry them. So here we come to this walk over to Timnah. Manoah, his wife, and Samson are headed over there to go see this lady and start working out the wedding list. I don't know. <laughs> they, they've got to go and do this, and there are different views of how weddings happen in Philistine and Israel and how all that merges into a mess. But then Samson kind of veers off. In, in a way, it kind of makes you think about when Jesus was in the caravan and his parents didn't discover him for a couple of days. I don't I don't want to sh- stretch that shadow too much, but he, he gets away from his parents for some, some reason. And verse 6 or five, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyard of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Ask yourselves, is Samson supposed to be going through a vineyard? Why why not? Yeah. I mean he could he could easily be tempted we know that he doesn't have much self-control. He could easily eat grapes. But then it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. How many people have ever torn a young goat in here? I don't, I don't want to. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman. She was easy on his eyes. He's talking to her. So here he is. He wants to marry an uncircumcised Philistine. And he's going through a vineyard. And pretty much God sent a young lion somewhere between three and eight years old, because that's when they roar and it's, they're kind of dangerous. It's not, I'm sure there's some liberal out there who said, oh, it was probably just a little three-pound cat. 
This 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 lion is going to kill him if he doesn't do anything. But it says here here's a time then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand like I just read, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he'd done. And the reason for that is he's in the vineyard, he's killed something, and he's keeping it a secret. And then he goes back. After some days, he in, in verse 8, after some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of a lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of a lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating it as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. What does that remind you of, of a verse that we talked about in Genesis? What does Eve do? She takes the fruit and gives to her husband, and he ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. If I had a bell, I would ring it right now. I mean, here is a covenant child just falling apart. He's he's going where he's not supposed to go. He's doing things he's not supposed to do. And he's leading others astray. Now, Manoah and his wife you know, it's it's an innocent thing, but he's he's not telling them because if he told them that he got this honey from a corpse, they being good covenant parents, what would they have probably told him? They would have told him he needs to go to the temple and we all need to go together and get cleansed before we do anything else. And, you know, God was gracious to the Nazarite. If they somehow you were sitting next to somebody and they fell dead and you happened to touch them to see if they're still alive, oh, I've just touched the dead body. God gives his grace that, that you can get out of it. So his father went down to the woman to make all the contractual things that he had to do, and Samson prepared a feast there. This is verse 10. For so the young men used to do. This is a party. This is a party with strong drink. This is a party that the Philistine men do when someone gets married. One source says they have Wrestling matches, wrestling matches. For some of you who don't understand good Southern, they had wrestling matches. They had fits of strength, and what else did they do? They would drink and drink and drink. And then, for some strange reason, all his Facebook friends. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 
30 companions to be with him to drink and be in this party and do whatever they do. I've, I've only been to one um, groom thing where we did, we were supposed to go shoot guns and fish and stuff like that. I, that's only happened once in my life in, um, in my party. I've, I just had a check cola and went swimming. Verse, verse 12, and Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. <clears throat> so here's the famous riddle. That, that is another one of the party games that go on. They, they do riddles. You know, that's, that's what I would want to be is com- drunk for seven days and somebody give me a riddle in wedding games. So Samson says, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And he he makes a bet with them. So I guess there was some other betting going on and he didn't want to be showed up. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes but if you cannot tell me what it is then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes and they said to him put your riddle or as other versions say propound your riddle that we may hear it and after three days they could not solve the riddle. So these guys are thinking, wait a minute, I didn't bring that much money with me. They don't take credit cards at the clothing store. We need to get out of this some way because none of us can get our minds together and think. So on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. I, I can't handle women crying. I'll just... I'll just confess that and let you rest of you men say things, but I I want to solve the problem. If if a woman is crying over something, I want to fix it. I think most men are that way. But here's kind of a twist that that I think she's crying toward Samson about knowing this riddle. She hasn't she's kept a secret for from him and not told him that these 30 drunks want to burn down her house and probably her and her dad in it. I mean, I I can I can uh attest to the fact that having worked in a drug rehab and alcohol rehab center, 
that there are several types of drunks. Some drunks just go to sleep. Some drunks get really giddy and laughable. And some drunks want to fight. You can, you can see this if you go to um, professional football games or baseball games. People start getting drunk and they start getting loud and all that. Well, out of 30 guys, something like this is probably going on. And he said to her, Behold, I have not even told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? He should be coming to the aid if he really loves this woman. I, I get the feeling that Samson looks at women as a piece of property or as what we used to say like 20 years ago. He just wanted a trophy wife. He doesn't really want to love her as a man, as a Christian man ought to. So I, I kind of like tend to give her a little grace. He's not very understanding toward her. If if somebody wants to burn my wife and burn down her house, I, I want to know in 15 seconds if if um, my daughters are crying over something and, and somebody did something to them, where are you and when can I get there and how am I going to take this guy out? I mean, that's that's the way I think. And I hope the rest of you men here think that way. And then she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And then he says to them, And men, when before you come to the Lord's table today, if if you have called your wife a heifer, get on your knees. Or any other words that are heifer like. I get an amen from the ladies. <laughs> If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. What an awful thing to say about your bride of seven days. Somebody, I mean, somebody take a hammer to your toe or something. I don't know. So, he's in this dilemma. He's, he's not in a very good attitude, don't know how much attitude he's had. So this is what he says. Fine. He's going, I don't know if you can really see what these are, but he's going down to Ashkelon, which is like 23 miles away, like going toward, where, walking toward the big chicken maybe, Marietta, maybe that's 23, or RTS, I don't know. But So he goes there. And he finds 30 guys, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and finally, he's doing his purpose. And his purpose is see Philistines, kill Philistines, take their spoil, and give to these other 30 companions. 
in my mind, why don't you just kill the other thirty, the other thirty guys? Why, why let them live? You know, why don't you go after these guys? So he gets all these, all these clothes, and these were probably not bought at Macy's. He probably told them, "Oh, and don't mind the red stains." He was not going to spend the money. <clears throat> so it says in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And then Samson's wife was given to his companion, companion who had been his best man. Really, really great best man there. Way to pick them. Yes, ma'am. I, I think these are Philistine drinking buddies. That's what I think. But it doesn't. It doesn't say. But I, I would imagine. I mean, he's. Right, and the, and they said because it was in one one commentator said, well, it's probably because Timna is in close proximity to to where he lives, and there could be backlash on maybe in his little heart he's concerned about his mom and dad being killed. I don't know, but we do know that here. The Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and when the Spirit of the Lord comes on Samson, it's for destroying Philistines. It's not for preaching. It's just that one purpose. Here is what we need to heed as we look at this covenant breaker's life. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. What do we what do we think about mules? I had a great grandfather who sold mules for a living and they're pretty stubborn. So is Samson. James Dobson wrote a book about him called The Strong-Willed Child. <laughs> if, if any of you remember that, that book. And here's the next thing. I kind of like the whatsoever's in King James English. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, or nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Unfortunately, 
this part of training, Samuel missed. I mean, Samson missed. He he does not. He has not heeded what his parents have told him. And in this particular chapter, worst wedding guests. You ever been to those one of those weddings, and there's always that one person that just destroys the wedding. Every once in a while, you run into that person. You know, they had all those movies in the 80s about the wedding crashers and all that. He's kind of a wedding crasher because this is not going good for him. But I would say this should give us hope if if you've trained your children on these verses and more. Just hold on to those things. The, the important thing that we need to know, or one of the important things is, remember that the Holy Spirit shows up. If your child is a, a believer, no matter how wayward they may be, the Holy Spirit can still work in their life, and you can still pray if you have one who is uncircumcised in their heart, that they'll come to Christ. Remember, the Lord is always with us. Even in parenting, it feels like, am I going to get another call this weekend at midnight? Is the sheriff going to come to the door with a warrant? Those are are hard parts. And think about Samson's parents. It was hard. Everything was going so well. But just one little indiscretion, one bad decision fails him. Well, let's... Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that we don't know tomorrow, but we know that you hold the future, that you know our days, you know our steps, you know the steps of our, our children and uh, even spouses who may be disobedient to the truth. Father, help us to hold fast to your word and we pray for a fresh filling of your spirit in our lives so that we might live according to your instruction, according to your precepts, and according to your law. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.